Okay, we're beginning here by the two dots on the top of Ayin Gimel Amaral. The Gemara is continuing to discuss the issue of Mitasik, which we dealt with the Makloka between Abai and Rava with regards to the Din of Mitasik. Over here we have continued Makloka between them, and the Gemara will discuss why we need these additional examples, which is Itmar Mitkaven Lizrokstein, person intended to throw to Amot, which is not a violation of Shabbat, Vizarak Arba, and in the end he threw for Amot, which is a violation of Shabbat. Rova Amar Patur, Abayi Amar Chayav. Rova says he's Patur in this case. Abayi says he is Chayav. This seems to be a case of Mitasek because he was Mitasek with something that was Mutar or was not problematic Midoraita and then resulted in a problem Deoraita. And that's what Rova explains. Rova Amar Patur, Delo Mikavin, Lizrika, Arbo. He never intended to throw it for a moat, and as Rashi notes over here, Butzer Mehani Lo Shem Zrika Allah. Less than four a moat is not called Zrika. This is a formulation that we've discussed in other times and will be important in the upcoming Gemarot, which deal with the Shi'urim for the Malachot, which is sometimes the Shi'ur of a Malacha just tells you how much you need to do. If you did less than that, then it'd still be a violation of what's called Chatzir Shi'ur Asur Mina Torah. And that Chatzir Shi'ur is a partial violation of whatever it is that you are restricted from doing. On the other hand, there's sometimes that there is a concept called Chatzir Malacha, whereby not reaching the threshold Shi'ur does not mean that you're doing something partially wrong, but rather that you're not doing anything wrong at all because the nature of the malacha has this minimum shiur built into it. Absent that shiur is not considered a malacha. We're going to see a number of times today's daf that Rashi makes that point, and over here he does it again, which is, but Zimahani lo shem zrika Allah. Less than four amot is not called zrika. It doesn't even have a shem zrika to it, and therefore it's not even a malacha. And that's what Rav is pointing out, which is that he didn't even engaged in something that was a sore because that's not the malacha until it reaches for amot. On the other hand, Abaye says he's chayav, he intended to throw something and he ended up throwing it. So his intent was carried out and since his intent was carried out, even though he didn't meet the threshold that he thought he was going to throw it, he did actually further. Nevertheless, his action was an action that he intended for and therefore he is chayav. And as we discussed before, for mitasek, for Rovo, in order to be chayav in something, you need both the activity that you're engaging in, as well as the intent for that activity to be carried out in order for you to be chayav. Vay, on the other hand, only has one requirement, that you intended to engage in that activity. Whether the engagement was something that was mutar, and it ended up to him being a sur, that's not an issue, and therefore you're going to be chayav. Now the Gemara brings another example, Kesavur, he thought he was throwing four amot in Rishut Yachid, and instead it turned out to be that he was in Rishut Rabim. Rav Amar Patur, once again Rav says Patur, Abay Amar Chayav. Rav Amar Patur, Isura. He never intended for a Zrika that was a Zrika of Isur. Whereas Abay Amar Chayav, you are Chayav, once again, your intent was to throw the object, and you did carry out that intent to throw the object, Turns out that you were in the wrong place when you did it. That's not enough of a reason to be called mitasek or to be patur according to Abaye. Whereas for Rava, you need both the action to be the intended action, as well as the result or that which you were intending to carry out to be the same. And therefore there's a failure here. And that's why you are patur. Vitzricha. And now the Gemara does it. Srichuta. We brought two examples here, as well as the example that we had in yesterday's daf, which was that he was nitkavin lachtochet the talush, he intended to cut something that was detached, the chatach et the mechubar, 
And then he cut something that was attached. There we saw again, Rava Patur and Abayim Archayav. We saw yesterday there's a machlok between Rashi and Tosafot as to how to read that line in the Gemara. Rashi, seemingly, and based on the Gemara in Kritut, it's clear that that's what Rashi says over there, which is when he says, means he intended to cut something that was detached and ended up cutting something that was muhubar, a totally different object. It was not the same object that he intended for. On the other hand, the Baleya Tosafot bring from the Rabbeinu Tam, who disagrees with Rashi and says, that when it says, the object that he was cutting was the same object. He just thought it was detached. Turned out it was attached. So over here, the object did not change. So the Tosafot Arosh back there notes about our Gemara over here, at first, that it seems like it's much more similar to what Rashi says. So over here it says, So here, the case is a case where he intended to throw to Amot, and then threw for Amot, and here it's the same object. If it is the same object, then you can understand why that's differentiated from the case before of Lachtoch et Talush v'chatach et HaMechubar. So that's why the Gemara brings a different example over here, because it's a different case. In the case yesterday, they were different objects. In the case today, it's the same object, and the Gemara is about to do its Rikhuta. But then he says, well, then how do you explain it according to the Rabbeinu Tam? And he suggests over here that maybe you would have thought that the difference between Rishut Yachid and Rishut Rabim, or from Tuamot to Furamot, is not a significant enough distinction in order to say that he didn't have intent for it, and therefore he should be Patur. That's why the Gemara brings these examples, because in these examples, what's the difference if he throws in Rishut Yechid or he throws in Rishut Rabim? He's still throwing for Amot. So it turns out that he got the location wrong. Maybe that's not a significant enough reason to say you're Patur Mitasek according to Rabba. The Gemara comes to say that that's why it is. So then he reverses his position and says, now I understand, according to the Rabbeinu Tam, why the Gemara changed the sample or the example that they used which is that before they were using Talush and Mechubar, and over here they started to use Shteamot, Arbaamot, and Rishut Yachid, Rishut Rabim, because that's the significance of the point, which is that these are items that you might have thought otherwise that are Chayav, even according to Rova. But according to Rashi, why did the Gemara change the example? The Gemara wanted to switch from a multiple objects to a single object, then it could have used the exact same scenario as before, as opposed to saying Lachtochet the Talush, and mechatach mechubar acher, then over here all you had to say was, it was the case that he was intending lachtoch et talush, mechatach oto mechubar, and he ended up cutting the exact same thing that was mechubar, and according to Rashi, that would have been sufficient distinction between the case before and the case over here, and therefore he says, maybe even the Rabbeinu Tam makes more sense now, because according to Rashi, the Gemara should not have switched the example that it was using, because they could have got into the case for Rashi in the same manner, which is talush and mechubar. Because according to Rabbeinu Tam, you have to switch cases because Talosh and Mechubar was already a case when you were dealing with one object. In order to have a bigger Chiddush over here, you have to switch to Hotza'ah or Zrika, whereby you would have thought that the action, in a sense, was carried out. Why does it matter two or four amot? Why does it matter Rishut Yechid, Rishut Rabim? And that way, he also brings support to this position of the Rabbeinu Tam against Rashi. And similarly to the way that the Tosafot again said in yesterday's daf at the end of the Gemara yesterday, which spoke about Shuman and Rok and Shuman and Chelev, that over there, that's much more similar to what the Rebbeinu Tam is saying, where you make a mistake in the same object, not a mistake in a different object. And for that reason, many Rishonim favor heavily the reading of the Rebbeinu Tam and the Baliyat Tosafot, 
over Rashi's interpretation here. The one thing that's very interesting about the Tosa Rosh is that he believes that Rashi, in the end, agrees with the Rabbeinu Tam's position, because he claims that the case of Nitkavein Lizrok, Shtayim Vizrak Arba, O Nitkavein Lizrok Bishuter Achidon Lizrok Bishuter Abim, is speaking about the same object. And so then, fundamentally, in the end, Rashi would agree with that idea that even if it's the same object, you can be mitasek. Problem with that is that Rashi and Kratot on Daf Yuterim Bet does not sound like that at all, because there in Kratot, Rashi writes that if it's Chaleb and you thought it was Shuman and ate it, that's a case of Shogeg and not a case of Mitasek. And that leaves Rashi's position very difficult in our Gemara over here. And that's why, again, many favor the Rabbeinu Tam's view. Now the Gemara says, Tzricha, we need all three of these cases because each one of them brings a Chiddush to us. And that is, if we had the case of over there, Rova believes that that's the case. Over there, his original intent to cut was to cut something that was mutar, tolush. If a person intends to throw two amot and ends up throwing four amot, the arba below tarte, lo mizrikale. You can't get to four without passing through two. Two is subsumed within four. And therefore, your intent to throw two is subsumed in you're actually throwing four. There is some question within the Rishonim as to whether when you threw over here the four, is it that you threw two and then it rolled out to four? That's a view in the Me'iri. Or is it that you threw four instead of throwing two? This Lashon of the Gemara favors the Me'iri slightly, which is that the four has within it subsumed two, and that's because you threw two in the end, it just rolled past that point and went out to four. So there we would have thought, that he would agree with Abaye that you should be Chayav. And that's why we have the case of Shtaim that turned out to be four. If you told me the case of Rishut Rabim where he threw two and it turned out to be four, because over there he didn't intend to throw four Amot, which would have been an Isur. As we noted before, Rashi says less than four Amot is not called Zrika at all. It's not a Chatsi Shior, it's not Zrika at all. Aval or the case where he thought it was Rishut Yachid and threw four amot, and then he finds out it's Rishut Rabim, Demikavin Darba. Here he threw four amot. So he accomplished the din of Zrika, just happens to be in the wrong location where he thought it would have been okay. It turns out it wasn't okay. Then you would agree with the Bayit Zricha. And that's why we need all three cases over here. And vice versa, if we had started with the case of throwing or in Rishut Yechid, it turned out to be Rishut Rabim, there Abaye might have said Chayav, and then if you told me the other cases, maybe Abaye would have agreed to Rova, and so in each of those cases, it teaches us that Abaye still says Patur, that's why we need all three cases to teach us the extent of both Abaye and Rova's position with regards to Mitasek. Now the Gemara challenges this from something we've seen a number of times, and we'll see again the main source at the beginning of the second Amud today, which is Tanan. Avot Melachot Arbaim Chaserachat. The Melachot are 40 minus 1, 39 Melachot on Shabbat. What's the reason that you have to give me a count in the Mishnah? You could have just counted the Melachot that the Mishnah enumerates. Why do you have to actually give me that count? If you do them in one forgetting, you're Chayav a Chatat on each one of them, meaning that this is the maximum number of Chatot that one could be Chayav for in the violation of Melachot on Shabbat is 39, because there are only 39 categories, and so we'll see those 39 categories limit your capacity for violating Shabbat Bishogeg to 39.
to those 39 malachot. Anything else is subsumed under those categories. Therefore, you'd only bring 39 chatot. So, bishlam alam baye. I can understand a baye's position. In the case of mitasek, like this, you are chayav. He knew about Isur of Shabbat. And he also knows that Malachot are Asurot. He just makes a mistake in understanding Shi'ur is that is restricted. So we have a problem here because there's a case or a concept called Zadon Shabbat and Shigigat Milachot. Case in the Mishnah or the first Mishnah of Klag Gadol where a person knows that it is Shabbat so that he knows that it's a day that you're not supposed to do anything. And she got malachot, but he forgot that all these malachot are asurot, and therefore he's chayav achatad for each one of the malachot that he violates. That's the case of Zadon Shabbat Shigat Malachot, you chayav 39 chatot in that case. The problem is, how did he know it was Shabbat? If he doesn't know there are any malachot that are asurot, then how or what is the possibility that he knew that it was Shabbat? He didn't know any halacha or any din that relates to Shabbat that makes it unique to Shabbat. So for Abaye, you can suggest that it's a case where he knew about Shabbat, and he knew that these malachot were asurot. And it was a case where he intended to do less than the shiur, and then he ended up doing the full shiur. And each one of the 39 malachot has a shiur. So if he intended to do less than that shiur of all the 39 malachot, and ends up doing the full shiur by accident, that's a case where you're going to be chayav achatat, and that could be the scenario of Zadon Shabbat and Shigagat Milachot. El Adorovah, According to Rav, there are patur in that case. What's the scenario where you do know it's Shabbat, yet you make a mistake about the Malachot? What mistake did you make? If you make a mistake like any of the ones that we just noted, you'd be patur, according to Rav, because that's mitasek. When it says, That works well if he holds like Rav Yochanan, who we saw earlier in the parak. If he doesn't know that the violation of Shabbat is punishable by karet, he knows that it's wrong to do this. He just didn't know that you were chayav karet for it. That's already called shogeg. So then, a case where he knew that these were lavin, these were restricted on Shabbat, just had no idea that you were chayav karet if you violated them. That would be the scenario in which he had zadon Shabbat. He knows about the 39 lachot, he knows there are surot. Just happens to be, he doesn't know that they're chayav karet, and that is enough to allow him to bring a korban shogeg for violating those milachot. At least, savalaki rabbi shim ben lakish, according to rabbi shim ben lakish, you're not called a shogeg until ashishkog balav ubi karet, where you didn't know it was restricted, and you didn't know it was chayav karet, meaning that you didn't know there was a problem on Shabbat, the yodol shabbat b'may. Then what does he know about Shabbat that's not one of the 39 melachot that makes that it's Zadon Shabbat, but Shigagat melachot. So Gemara gives the answer that it already gave twice, back on Samach Ted and Ayin, which is the Dayadullah Tchumim Valiud Rabbi Akiva. He knows about the issue of Tchum Shabbat, which according to Rabbi Akiva is Asur Midoraita. It's not one of the 39 melachot, and therefore it's not something that you'd be Chayav Achatat for. So that was what his knowledge of Shabbat was, that you're not allowed to travel a certain distance or over a certain amount. And that's how he knew it was Shabbat, but he didn't know about any of the other 39 malachot. Back on Samach Tet, the Balei HaTosafot point out that you can't rely on Isi, who we saw back at the beginning of Masechta on Davov, who said that one of the 39 malachot is not Chayav Karet. It's true that you're not Chayav Karet for it, but you are Chayav Achatat for all of them. So that wouldn't solve your problem. But why don't you say that you know Shabbat about the Asay? And that's what the Re asks back on Samach Tet Aleph. 
Why don't you say that he knows about the issue of Zachor at Yom HaShabbat Lekodjo or B'Yom HaShvit Tishbot, that there is an assay that creates an Easter assay. Why can't that be the knowledge that he has with regards to Shabbat? And that might relate to a different machloket as to how integral is the assay to the lot assay of Shabbat. The Rabbeinu Tam later on makes a point that one is Shovet Mimelacha, but just because they don't have any work to do, that's not called Shvitat Shabbat. The assay of Shabbat says that you have to actively engage in Shvita for the purpose of resting on Shabbat. And therefore he sees the assay and lot assay heavily correlated one to the other, whereas others see the assay being totally independent. And if, and if a person is Shuvet on Shabbat, has nothing to do with the assay of Shabbat. And that distinction might also relate to Rashi on Dafayin Amaralf as to why Bukharisha Kutsir Tishbot is not considered to be a Devarshi Yatsam in a cloud, the Lameda cloud Kulo Yatsa, is because you can't have that by an assay vis-a-vis a lot assay. That would seem to indicate that there's differentiation between the assay and the lot assay. As opposed to his second answer, which says that there's shnei ketuvim abayim kechad, and therefore they can't be melamed ala klal kulo yatsa. There it seems to say that the assay and the lotase of the melachot of Shabbat are integrally connected. So you see this distinction being made, and that might have influence over here as to why the Gemara doesn't think the assay is sufficient grounds to be considered Shabbat without the melachot of Shabbat, because the two are integrally connected. The Tosweh Yishanim over there, also mentions, why don't we say that he knows about it with regards to the lab de mechamer, also driving an animal on Shabbat, which is a separate isur of Shabbat that does not subsumed within the restrictions of karet or the lametet melachot. So over there, the Tosvet Yishanim says, if he thinks he's mutar and mechol melachot, how could it be that he knows about mechamer? How could it be that he thinks he can do any melacha in the world, but he can't drive his animal or his animal can't do something, that doesn't seem to be like a logical way that someone would approach Shabbat. Also, you can't say it's Rabbi Yossi, who we saw recently, who says that, Havoro lalav yatzat. The reason it says, Shabbat is because it's an Easter lav and not an Easter karet. Because Havoro is one of the 39 melachot mentioned in the Mishnah. And on that Mishnah, we say that you get 39 chatot. So it's clear that our Mishnah holds that the Havara is the Chalek Yatzat and is a restricted Malacha and not just the Lav Yatzat. And you can't say that he knows about Shabbat by one of the Toladot, one of the derivative Malachot on Shabbat. Because if he doesn't know about the Av Malacha being Asur, there's no way that he's going to know that the Toladot is Asur. It's just not, again, a logical thing that one would come to a conclusion like that. And you can't say that he knows that the punishment for Shabbat is Skilah, and that's how he knows about it. He doesn't know that there's karet or a chatat. That doesn't work because we saw already that when a person is a shogeg, it has to be a case where shav midiato. Had he known the information, he would have acted differently. We see from here that he knows there's a punishment of skila and he still doesn't act differently. So now if you told him it was karet or that it was a sh- problematic, he would have acted differently. No, he already knows that there's skila and he didn't act differently. So that wouldn't bring you into a chatat. And tells what Yishonim notes, you can't say that he made a mistake in Shiurim, meaning that he thought that the Isser of Havara was five Amot instead of four Amot, because that's an unlikely scenario. Where would he come up with all these made-up Shiurim that make the difference? Our case of here, Abai is saying that he knows the real Shiurim, he just intended to do less than them, and then ends up doing the full Shiur, and that is a possibility, because the individual was intending not to violate Shabbat, and then was mitasek and ended up violating Shabbat, and that you could have a scenario where you'd be chayav chatot. And for Rovo, we're going to suggest that it's Rabbi Akiva by Tchumin, which is a different area totally, that the person would have knowledge of Shabbat about this issue, 
even though he might not have knowledge about all other aspects of it, he might just remember that you're not allowed to walk or not allowed to go the distance, even though he doesn't know or doesn't remember anything about any of the other malachot on Shabbat. And now the Gemara gets to the Mishnah, which you would have thought might come at the beginning of the Masechta, which is many times in Shas we have this issue, which is information or key elements are found in the middle of the Masechta. But that's again because the Masechta or the Gemara assumes that you know all of Mishnayot already when you come to deal with the Masechta. And even though maybe even in Mishnayot you would have expected this Mishnah to begin in the beginning of Shabbat, nevertheless here it's located in the middle of the Masechta, here in the seventh parak, which is Avot Melachot Arbaim Chaserachat. There are 39 melachot that are asurot on Shabbat. It's 40 minus 1. Why the Mishnah formulates it that way, there are some that want to suggest that there really are 40 violations here, but you're only going to believe Chayav 39, because some of the melachot here involve dual or multiple aspects to them that really have more violations, but since it's subsumed under that Av, there's only 39, even though you could have read 40. Others say that it's parallel to the way that Torah expresses the 39 Malkot, that the Malkot there are expressed as 40, even though it's really 39. So similarly over here, the Mishnah uses that similar language, expressed 39 as 40 minus 1, rather than just 39. Now the Mishnah breaks down the Malkot into sections of a process, and each of those sections, those processes, tell us what the Malkot are. We're going to learn again in today's daf, and we've learned before, what the source of the 39 Malachot is because of the juxtaposition to the Mishkan and from the Gematriot or the Limudim from the word Malacha or Elad Varim and the combination of those two things as the Bayatosavot noted for us teach us which items are considered to be the Avot Malachot and we'll discuss in the Gemara maybe what the Nafkamina is as to whether something is an Av Malacha or a Tolada. So Avot Malachot Arbaim Chaserachat here we begin what's called Sidura Depat this is making bread. Hazorea, someone who plants. Vachoresh, someone who plows. Vakutzer, someone who harvests. Vamamer, someone who piles up the items that they harvest. Vadash, they thresh that which they have harvested, meaning that they crush it or put weight on it. There were different methods for doing that. And by doing so, it causes the shaft, the shaft of the grain to break away from where the kernels are. Vazore, which is to winnow, which is then you throw it up in the air. And the wind carries away the lighter material, the chaff, and leaves behind the kernels that you want. Haburer, then afterwards you separate out by picking out the kernels from that which is the debris and that which you want to discard. Atochein, then you mill the item. Hamirakeid is that now you sift it in a sifter to separate away, whether it's the fine flour that comes through and the other stuff that sticks inside the sifter and vice versa where you have the faker items that you want to keep and the debris or the dregs that fall through the sifter. Halash is to knead, va'ofeh, baking. So these are the first 11 malachot. It's called sidura of the pot. It's making of the bread. Even though, as Rashi points out, there was no bread that was ever made in the Mishkan. This brings us to a machloket, which we've discussed previously, which is, are the malachot of the Mishkan solely to do with the building of the Mishkan? Or does it have to do with the ongoing operations of the Mishkan? So the Egle Tal brings in the Melacha of Ofer. He discusses this issue. He brings from the Geonim. And there is a Rebbeinu Hanano that we'll see it maybe at the end of today's daf on Ayin Dalit that seem to note that even the Melachot that were in the operations of the Mishkan were considered in terms of Melachot of Shabbat and not just the building of the Mishkan. If that's the case, then Ofer 
and Sidur the pot makes sense because of the Lechem Apanim. On the other hand, if you're talking about the making of the Mishkan or the building of the Mishkan, then there was no Ofet in that process. There was Bishul, as Rashi describes over here, in making the dyes for the dyeing of the Yiriot. And therefore, there was a process that would have been similar to this. The Mishnah just chose to use Sidur the pot, which the Bavli will later on ask, why did the Mishnah leave him in a shell, which would have seemed to be the more basic item, and then choose to use Ofeh instead. That does bring to a machloket as to whether Ofeh is an Ab Milacha. Is it on the same level as Mivashel, and they're just synonymous? Mivashel is type of cooking, and Ofeh is a type of baking. They both accomplish the same thing, just through different methods of using of heat in order to do it, and therefore they are, in a sense, synonymous, just different manifestations of the same Milacha, and they're both Avot Milachot. Or as Ofeh is baking a subsidiary, a tolada of the Ab In truth, it really doesn't make a difference because if you violated both of them, you'd only be one Chayav, one Chatat, whether it's a tolada and Ab, or they're both the same Ab, you'd only be Chayav once, Bishogeg, for that violation. It might have an Afkamina, again, we'll see later on today's Daf, for Toledot of Toledot, whether you can have derivatives of derivatives. If Ofeh is a derivative, then something that's a derivative of Ofeh, would then be a second derivative, and that's a question we will deal with later today's daf as to whether that is still classified as something that's a sur bishabbat midoraito. So there might be some nafkamina as to whether ofez classified as an av, or there's simply ofez here because of sidura depat, but not because it's really an av melacha, which seems to be the view of Rashi, as opposed to the view of the Rebbeinu Hanano and some of the Gonim who think that maybe ofez is an av melacha. In addition, Ofer is unusual as long as well with Zorea, the first and last of the Sidura de Pat, which is that they are process-oriented. They're not something that happens in a moment in time. They're something that takes time to be processed. And we discussed this back on Dav Dalid, the beginning of the Masechta, what is the din with regards to process-oriented melachot? For instance, baking, if someone takes out the bread before it's fully baked, then they could save the person from violating the Isur of Shabbat. Given that, you see that when you interrupt a melacha by process, that that stops the melacha or stops the violation of the melacha. The question is, if that's true by Ofeh, is that also true by Zoreya? And over there we discussed the machloket between the Rashash and the Egletal as to whether Zoreya has the same din as Ofeh. If you were to stop it, does that also stop the violation? For instance, one planted on Shabbat, that planting will not take effect for at least three days. And therefore, if you pulled it out sometime on Sunday or Monday, does that prevent the Isur? Or is it only because something was stopped on Shabbat itself that it stops the Isur? But after Shabbat, it's not. Rashash, who says that Zriah is completed after Shabbat, and therefore you could possibly interrupt it. Same vein. So too, if something is baked right before the end of Shabbat, and if the baking is finished after Shabbat, you would be Chayab, because you see that a Malacha that is completed after Shabbat is considered to be a malacha. On the other hand, the Minchat Chinuch in Mitzvah Reish Tzadichet disagrees and says that, that Zoreya is fundamentally different than that because Zoreya, your Chayab, just for planting, even though it never takes root because anything that happens on Chol is not relevant to Shabbat. And therefore, the Minchat Chinuch and Egle Tal brings a similar view that if you interrupt the Zoreya later on, that will not change the fact that the person is Chayab for Zoreya. So these two malachot, process-oriented, have this machloket associated with them as to whether, if that process is completed after Shabbat, are you chayav? And if you interrupt that process after Shabbat, would you be patur? 
And that's a machloge between the Minchat Chinuch Egel on one side, who say that you can't have completion of a malacha on Chol, and therefore if you baked late in the day, you'd be potor. If you're Zoreya on Shabbat, and somebody takes it out after Shabbat, you're still chayav for the Etzem Zriya on Shabbat. Whereas the Rashash believes that you are chayav for something on Chol. If somebody took the seeds out after Shabbat, you would be patur from Zriya. And if you baked on Shabbat and continued into Chol, you'd be chayav for it if it completed the process even during Chol. So now the Mishnah moves on to the next series of Mlachot, which are the wool that was used in the making of the Yiriyot Mishkan. That is a gozezet etzemer, someone who shears the wool from the animal. Hamalabno, someone who bleaches it or washes it. Patso, someone who combs it or hackles it. The truth is that amongst the Rishonim, there are different opinions as to exactly what Benapso is. Ramon believes it means to beat it with sticks in order to separate out the fibers. Rashi says it's to actually separate the fibers from each other. And there is the view of the Me'iri, which is that it's combing of the wool to separate the fibers. Patsovo, someone who dyes it. But Taveh, someone who spins it into a thread, Vehamesach sets up the strings or stretches the strings onto the loom. nirin, someone who makes two eyes of the heddle. There is a harness called a near, and that harness has strings that are strung from top to bottom on that harness. In the middle of those strings that are strung from top to bottom, there's a little eye hole. Those eye holes have the strings of the Loom, the warp, go through them. Those two harnesses then move up and down to shift the strings of the warp up and down so you can throw the shuttle through them and it creates the weave by sending it straight through. So if you make shnei bate nirim, if you make two of those eyes of the heddle, then you are also chayab on Shabbat because that is part of the process or the setting up of the loom in order to weave those items. So if you set up such a structure, if you put two of the strings through those bate nirim, to set it up so they can alternate up and down in order to do the weaving. That's also a problem on Shabbat. As derivatives of that, Rashi and Rabbeinu Kanano on tomorrow's daf say, Rashi will say it's the setting up of the warp, the weave that you're doing with reeds, for instance, that allows you to go in and out and weave the woof or the horizontal reeds through the vertical reeds. Or according to the Rabbeinu Kanano there is if you put the horizontal reeds in and weave them in, that creates an up and down for the weave. If you've done two of them, that starts the weave pattern, and that's the equivalent of Oseh, Shnei Batei Nirin. Boreg Shnei Chutim, someone who weaves two strings. Bapotseya Shnei Chutim, someone who snaps or breaks two Chutim. Rashi says it's a case maybe where you have strings that are too long, and then you break them to shorten them up. Others say it's a case where the strings are snapped and you need to rip them in order or break them in order to tie them together afterwards. And akosher vehamatir, someone who ties a knot or someone who undoes a knot. Once again here, that has to do with the weaving process. If a string snaps, do you need to then rip it in order to allow you to connect it to another string? Or if it's too long, do you rip it in order then to connect it to another string? Vatofer shteit firot. Or someone who stitches two stitches. Or someone who rips in order to create two stitches. And as Rashi notes over here, that's the only usage of ripping in the Mishkan, which is that if you have a hole or you have something that's not big enough to stitch up or it's not going to stitch properly because of the way the hole is torn, you need to tear it more. That's what it's Korea Almanat Litvor. 
that's the type of Korea that you are Chayav for. But if it was not done ripping for Tfirah, they don't have such Avudan the Mishkan, and that's not Chayav on Shabbat. As Rashi notes over here, all of these Malachot have to do with the Avudat HaYiriot, making the Yiriot in the Mishkan. So now we move on to the hides, which were used as part of the Kisui of the Ohel of the Mishkan. That is the Orot Techashim that were used for that purpose. And so that now is a Tzadzvi, someone who captures and traps an animal. A Shochato, someone who shechs it. A Mavshito, someone who flays it. A Mocho, someone who salts that which was flayed. Someone who tans the hide. Someone who smooths it out by shaving off the hair or taking off the uneven parts. You slice it into strips or pieces that you need. Someone who writes two letters. Or someone who erases in order to write two letters. We'll see later on in the Gemara that has to do with the Krashea Mishkan. The Krashim, the boards that made up the Mishkan and pairing them up properly. And Habuneh Vasoter, someone who builds, someone who destroys on Shabbat is Chayav. Hamechabeh, someone who extinguishes Vamavir and someone who ignites. Question as to why Mechabeh comes before Mavir is noted by many. The Miri suggests that it's just the order of the way it was done in the Mishkan, which is that they first burnt things and extinguished them to make coals in order then to be Mavir, to heat up the items that they needed heating up. Others suggest that Mavir is put later because Mavir is subject to a machloket as to whether Mavir is the lav yatzat, lechalek yatzat, and therefore since it's more controversial, it was put second after Mechabeh, which nobody disagrees about. And some suggest that the only kibuy that you're chayav for is kibuy al-manat havir, and therefore it was put before the havara. So those are different reasons for that order. And then the final Two malachot are amakeb patish. That is the final stage, as Rashi says, in any malacha, the gemar malacha, the final thing that makes it functional or finishes off whatever you were doing. That's called makeb patish. And as Rashi describes over here, the uman, the craftsman, when he wants to use the hammer, he smashes things down. He smashes the hammer first on the anvil in order to make sure that it's absolutely flat in order to finish off the work whether that's the final thing he does, or that's the final thing he does before he hits the item for the last time, in order to make sure it's absolutely smooth. And therefore, that's called the Gemar Malachav Makeh Patish. And the last one, which we've discussed from the, in the beginning of the Masefta until now, which is a Mutsim Rishut the Rishut. One who carries from one Rishut to the other Rishut, which is the Av, and then all other carrying will be subsidiaries of carrying from one Rishut to the other Rishut. Because as the Ran notes, person who is Mavir Dalet El Mot Bishut Rabim, the Dalet El Mot are considered to be the Rishut of an individual. And therefore, when he's Mavir Daladamot, it's really a subsidiary or derivative of Mavir Mishut the Rishut, because he's leaving his personal space and moving over to a new personal space. And that's why Mavir Daladamot Mishut Rabim is a derivative or tolada of a Motsim Mishut the Shut. These are the 40 minus 1 Melachot or the 39 Melachot of Shabbat. The Tosvar over here raises a question which is a machloket harishunim as to whether when it comes to matir and kosher, when one unties and ties, is the only time you're chayef on tying when you do matir, almanat likshor, with the intent of tying. And that is because the melachot of Shabbat need to be constructive in their nature. You're not chayef for what's called mikalkel, for ruining things on Shabbat. So the question is, is matir standalone? Can it be a constructive action? Or is it only when you're matir, almanatlik short, where it changes it from a destructive to constructive item, that would be a case when you are chayav. So Tosvot says, well, 
maybe because it doesn't write material Amanat Likshor like it does by Mochik Amanat Likhtov, there the Mishnah makes it clear that there's a correlation between the Mechika and the Ktiva. Or, whereby the case of Koreya, Amanat Litfor. There the Mishnah explicitly expresses it. So the fact that it doesn't express it here, maybe that should be evidence of the fact that you don't need to have it be a constructive item. The problem with that logic is that we already established back in Bameh Madlikim, and Daf Laman Aleph on that Soter, destructive or breaking something, is only a Malachan Shabbat if it's Amanat Livnot, if it's done with the purpose of rebuilding or facilitating rebuilding. And therefore you see that there are examples in the Mishnah where you have Soter and Boneh, where the Mishnah doesn't explicitly say that it's Soter Amanat Livnot, even though that is a requirement. And similarly, for those that believe that Kibui is only Kibui Amanat Avir, that's also not mentioned in the Mishnah. So just the fact that it's not mentioned in the Mishnah is not evidence of the fact that that's not the case. Although, as the Baitos will point out, Rashi seems to indicate that you can have matir, that's a constructive melacha, even without the manat likshor, later on in Daf Ayin Daladam with Bet. And there Rashi seems to indicate that matir is independently chayav, whereas the Rabbeinu Hananel seems to believe that you need Matir, Amanat Likshor, in order to be Chayav. And so it is a machloki between them with regard to this issue. And Tosvet says that it seems that the Yushalmi leans more favorably towards the view of the Rebbeinu Hanano that you need Matir, Amanat Likshor. And even though it should have been mentioned in the Mishnah, Tosvet back on Lamed Aleph from Medved explained already why Soter Amanat Livnot and Matir, Amanat Likshor were not explicitly mentioned in the Mishnah like Korea and Mochek. That's because... In each of those cases, you needed a shiur. Whereas by bonen soter, even a koshu is chayav. And similarly with kosher and matir, even the untying or tying of one knot is sufficient to make you chayav. Now then by a kotev, which is shteotiot, and mochek amanat lichtov shteotiot. Or by the case of korea, amanat litfor shteotfirot. So since each of those had a shiur that was associated with them, that's why the Mishnah explicitly gave you the positive formulation of what has to come afterwards. So even though there are other examples in the Mishnah, they weren't mentioned explicitly because they don't have shiurim associated with them. And that's how Tosafot differentiates between the, the cases where the Mishnah does and does not mention this correlation between destructive malachot and constructive malachot, even though there are more than that are explicitly mentioned in our Mishnah. And for that reason, he thinks that like the Rebbeinu Hananel, it's matir amanat likshor, and not simply matir that you are chayav for on Shabbat. There is a sheet of Rabbi Yochanan in the Yushalmi that uses makeba patish to describe the completion of any process or the finalization of anything that you do. Rav Asher Weiss is fond of quoting that for his sheet with regards to electricity, where he, against most of the post game, believes that turning something on or using electricity on Shabbat is an isu doraita not an Iser de Rabbanan, and it's because of Makkeh because if you're completing a circuit, you're completing something that then makes it functional, and that, according to Rabbi Yochanan Yushalmi, is called Makkeh and based on that, he thinks that electricity or anything associated with electricity, even though they're not lighting incandescent bulbs, incandescent bulbs is Havara. So there, most post game believe that it's Doraita because of the Havara, because of the filament that lights up. But other types of lights, like LEDs, and fluorescence, by fluorescence, maybe there's an issue of bishul, of heating up the gases that are there, but most believe that it's only the Rabbanan, and certainly by LEDs, most of them believe that it's only an issue of the Rabbanan, whereas Rav Weiss believes that those are all violations do raita because of the problem of maket v'patish. So here the Gemara asks the question, and brings down Rabbi Yochanan, who we've seen throughout 
the Masechta already three, four times, which is Minyon Alomali. Why does the Mishnah enumerate about Melachot 39 when you could just list the Melachot? We could count them ourselves and know that there are 39. So why does it summarize and say that there are Arbaim Chaser Achat? What's the purpose of doing that? To teach you that, if you do all of them in one forgetting, then you're going to be chayav for 39 chataot. That's the maximum number of chataot that you're going to be chayav for a violation of Shabbat. And that's the case of Zadon Shabbat, the Shigigat Melachot, which we discussed numerous times previously in this parak. It's very strange that the Mishnah notes that planting before plowing. So, normally you plow first. And then, then why don't you stay plowing before planting? That would make more sense. So, Tana, but Eretz Yisrael, Koi, the Mishnayot are authored or found in Eretz Yisrael, the Zari Bereshav, Ahadar Karve, that they first seed and then they plow again. And as Rashi notes over here, it's because the land or the earth in Israel is much harder. In Bavel, the land was very soft. So you plowed it and then you could seed right into those furrows that you had plowed. In Eretz Yisrael, they plowed twice. They actually plowed once at the end of the harvest, and then they plowed again here by the Zriah. But the earth was hard so that it was hard to bury the seeds in the ground. So after they seeded, they would actually have to plow over the seeds in order to bury the seeds into the ground. And for that reason, it mentions that Choresh after Zriah is also a problem of Melacha. Of course, certainly the Kharishah before, the plowing before the seeding is problematic. But it's coming to tell you that even Kharisha after the Zriah, anything that softens the earth, facilitates the ability of the item to grow by softening up the ground or changing the dynamic of the ground, that's considered to be a malach of Choresh. And that's why it mentions Choresh after Zoreya. Tana, Hazoreya, Vazomer, Vanotea, Vamavrich, Vamarkiv, Kula Malacha Achatein. All of these are considered to be one malacha. Zoreya is planting, Zomer is pruning. Notea is planting a sapling in the ground. Hamavrich is when you take a existing branch and you reinsert it into the ground, trying to root it as a attached to a main trunk. The Markiv is grafting one tree onto another tree. All of them are the same malacha. Mar says, my kamash malan. What are you telling us that these are all the same thing? Hakamash malan. Asem malachot arbe. Mei malacha achat. Someone who does multiple malachot that are from the same malacha, enu chayav elachat. You only chayav once. Meaning that if you are doing things that are the exact same thing, they're all the same av, or they're all toledot of that av, in that instance, you're only chayav once because it's the violation of the same lav or problematic behavior. And you're not going to be chayav for each one of them individually if they're all done behelam echad and one forgetting. Pruning is a problem of notea. Notea is to plant a sapling. Zomer pruning is something that promotes growth. That's similar to notea, something where you plant a sapling that's also promoting growth. That notea, and planting a sapling. Vamavrich, and putting a branch into the ground. Vamarkiv, and grafting. Chayav mishum zoreya. They're all chayav mishum zoreya. Kumar says mishum zoreya in mishum notea, no. They're chayav receding, and they're not chayav for planting a sapling. So Kumar says, ema af mishum zoreya. They're also chayav for zoreya. Over here, there's a machloket Rashi and the Rabbeinu Hananel about how to read this Gemara. And based on that, there's a major machloket that derives from this. And that is, Rashi over here says that, Zorea av melacha. Zorea seeding is the av melacha. That's what's mentioned in our Mishnah. And he says, Notea nami av melacha. He says, planting a sapling in the ground or a tree in the ground is also a melacha. 
and they are synonymous. Just one is Hainozorea, which is done with seeds, as opposed to Notea, which is done by trees. So it's just the same Malacha, which is putting something into the ground that will then take root and grow. So one is done through a seed, one's done through a sapling, but both of them are the same. They're just with different objects, and therefore they're the same Malacha. Zorea and Notea are two sides of the same coin. Then Rashi adds, Vein Mavrich Umarkiv. And Mavrich Umarkiv, grafting and putting a branch into the ground, are also Avmlacha. They're just different methods of getting rooting or the growth of an item. So whether you plant in the ground or you plant it by grafting onto another tree, whether you plant by seeding or putting a sapling, or whether you put a branch into the ground to have it root, all of those are the same melacha, and they're all avot melachot. They all have the same status of being an av melacha. Aval zomer, pruning, is the only exception, which is it is a tolada. It's a subsidiary or derivative of notea. Zomer promotes growth, just like notea promotes growth, and therefore zomer is considered to be a tolada, a derivative of notea. So in the list here, Rashi claims that four of the items are a volt, and only the zomer is a tolada. And therefore, the Gemara is asking that your chai mishum zoreya, seeding and not notea, all these items are much more similar to notea than zoreya. And the Gemara answer is af mishum zoreya. Notea is just a different way of saying zoreya. Zoreya is by seeds, and notea is by trees. And that's what the answer of the Gemara is. There are a number of issues with Rashi's explanation, the first of which is, if we just said there are 39 melachot, and those are the 39 avot of Shabbat, according to Rashi, we just expanded the list, and all of a sudden there are all these other avot. So the Magid Mishnah in Ilchot Shabbat of the Rambam in Perak Zayin says that anything that's so similar to the av, that it has almost the exact same properties of the av, they're all subsumed under one category, and it's not that these are really independent avot, they're really the same av. And that seems to be what Rashi is saying over here. Anything that is similar but not exactly the same, that's called a tolada. But then there are only 39 avot. But the Baliyat Tosafot and the Rabbeinu Hananel deal with what is the nafkamina as to whether something is an av or something is a subsidiary derivative of another melacha. Tosafot over here deals with it from the perspective of hatra'ah. When you warn an individual that they are doing something wrong on Shabbat, what are you warning them about? So Tosafot points out that you can either warn them for the action they're doing, the tolada itself, or you can warn them for the av of that tolada. But that means you have to get the right av. You have to get the right primary malacha that they're chayav for in order to give them hatra'ah. And that's what the Gemara is asking over here. Well, if you warn him because of zriah, is he going to be chayav? But if you warn him because of noteya, he's not going to be chayav? The Gemara's answer is no, noteya and zriah are synonymous and therefore, if he warns them because of Notea, or because of Zriah, or for any one of these other items here, he will be Chayav on Shabbat, because that's considered to be a proper Hatra'ah. So Tosafot connects the issue to Tolada and Av. Not that you always have to tell the Av of the Tolada, but that is another option of Hatra'ah that's available. The Rabbeinu Hananel, on the other hand, deals with this differently. And the Rabbeinu Hananel says here, Shma'ina mina midumukim mavrich umarkiv mishum Notea. Markiv, which is grafting, and Mavrich, which is putting a branch into the ground to root, the Gemara says they are derivatives of both Notea and Zorea. From here you see that there are derivatives of derivatives, because Notea is a Vlad of Zorea. So you see now how the Rabbeinu Hanano read this Gemara. He says that when the Gemara says that Notea is the derivative of Zorea, what it's saying is that Notea is a vlad, a tolada, of the av of Zorea. 
And then when we say Markiv and Mavrich are derivatives of Zoreya, and the Gemara says, are they derivatives of Zoreya, not derivatives of Notea? The Gemara says, yeah, yeah, they really are derivatives of Notea. So what does that mean? Well, they are derivatives of Notea, and Notea is a derivative of Zriya. And it means that there's double derivative or second derivatives of Melachot. Rashi believes that there is no such concept as a Toladah le Toladah. There's an Av and a Toladah, and that's it. And that's why Rashi terms many of these items as a vote, and then only like Zomer as a Toladah, because he doesn't have double derivatives. On the other hand, the Rabbeinu Hanayna, which reads much easier into the Gemara, says that Noteya is a derivative of Zoreya, and then all these other items are derivatives of Noteya. And that shows you that there's a concept of a Toladah le Toladah. And that's how the Rabbeinu Hanayna reads the Gemara, and then when the Gemara finalizes and says, aren't these items of Mavrich and Markiv, how could they just be derivatives of Zoreya? Aren't they more similar to Noteya? To which the Gemara answer is, yes, they are also Chayav Mishum Zoreya, which means they are derivatives of Noteya, which is the derivative of Zoreya, and therefore they are also derivatives of Zoreya. Okay, now the Gemara continues. Someone who prunes a, a grapevine, and he needs the wood for firewood. So he's doing two things here. He's doing Kotzer, which is harvesting, cutting something off for the item itself that you need that you're cutting off. And that cutting is pruning, which is also promoting growth. Then you're chayav for two things. Achat mishum kotzer, one for harvesting or for taking, cutting something that is mechubar for your utilization. Achat mishum noteya, and one because of planting, which is the promotion of growth. So in a single action, one can be chayav for two items. And we'll bring other examples of that now, which is Amr Yosef, someone who cuts fodder, grass, hay, in order to give it to feed for the animals, it grows back afterwards. So chayav shtayim, one for harvesting, and the other one for promoting growth, because it's a pruning that will cause the thing to grow back again. Amr silka, someone who cuts here, silka in the Gemara is many times translated as beets. Over here, it's harder to understand that because beets are a root vegetable. So it would more likely be that it's spinach over here. If you cut back the spinach leaves in order to take those leaves, for cutting the leaves, or somebody who is then causing, promoting growth that will regrow afterwards, whether it's beets or more likely, it sounds like here, it might be spinach. These are items whereby the cutting process nets you something that you want to use, which is kotzer, but also promotes further growth, and therefore it's also a problem of notea, zoreya, in that action, and therefore you're chayav shtayim for that action. Over here, Tosavot says, it's only considered pruning if it's beneficial to the tree. If it's detrimental to whatever item that you're cutting it from, then you'd only be chayav kotzer, and not zomer, not pruning, or notea. In addition to that, it sounds like this from the Gemara, that the only way that you're chayav for cutting something that is mechubar, is when you're tzarich the eitzim. That it's not called kotzer, ela in you need the eitzim. Mida the hava, and he says this is similar to koreya amanatlit for. Someone who rips in order to stitch. Mocheik amanatlit tov. Someone who erases in order to write. Tosvot says that's the same thing with kotzer. Kotzer can only be classified as kotzer when it's a productive cutting of the item, which means that you're cutting it because you need or you want that item. It's a constructive act, the kotzer. But if the kotzer is a destructive act, that you're cutting something or ripping something in order to be a destructive act, that you're not going to be chayav for because you need a positive or constructive outcome of the item in order for you to be chayav. Otherwise, they become what's called a melacha she'en tzricha the gufa, 
It's a malacha that you're doing, but you don't need the intended outcome of such a malacha, which is the constructive side of that malacha. Over here, the Rebbe Kiva Eger points out, Muvar de Svirle, it sounds like this from the Tosvo, the Av Heicha de Eno Mikalkel, even if it's not a destructive act, the Tzarech is a Dovar, because you need it for some purpose, Mikomakom Patur, you'll still be Patur, unless you need the Etzim themselves. And therefore, even if it's not a destructive act, but it's a constructive act, you would not be Chayav, Elaim Kane, you need the item that you're cutting off. Or in the case of Korea, when you rip it, only Almanatli Tfor. Even if the Korea was done in a constructive manner, it sounds like Tosfot, that's not enough. You have to do it in a manner that also has this particular positive aspect associated with that. And Rabbi Kivager points out that later on in the Gemara, and Dav Kuvayamad where the Gemara says, if he's Korea Almeto, or Korea Bechamato, someone who rips because of a death in the family, or rips because of his anger and assuages his anger, that type of ripping is what's called a ripping in the heat of the moment. And that type of ripping that involves emotion is an expression of that emotion and is cathartic in its action. And there the Gemara says you're chayad for that because that type of korea is a constructive action. And you see there that even though it's a malacha of destructive force, it's a mekalkel, nevertheless you're chayad, even though there's no toelet, meaning like this toelet of the mishkan that is in there. And so here, Tosafot makes it sound like the malacha over here is defined by the positive action that was done in the Mishkan. Similar to what we saw in Rashi before, that certain shiurim make it that the malacha doesn't exist without the shiur. Absent that shiur, it's a chatzi malacha. Similar over here, Tosafot seems to think that amanat litfor, or kotzer v'tzirich le'etzim, or mochek amanat lichtov, are definitions of the malacha. And absent those necessities, it's not called a malacha. And that's, even if it's a constructive act, it's not considered a malacha. Elim Kane, you do it for the purpose that was done in the Mishkan. Since these are destructive forces, they only have din of malacha when they're done for those items that are done in the Mishkan. And that's what Tosfut seems to express over here. And that's what Rabbi Kivagir and the Gilin Ashas is challenging, which is, that's just not true. The Gemara later on says, HaKoreya Bechamato Alameto is Chayav, even though it's Kilkol, and it's not Almanat Litfor. But in order to solve this, the Beralocha in Siman Shin Mem, in the Ramat mentions the fact that he thinks that Tosva just brought it down to Shigra Delishne, meaning that he just brought it down in the normal way to say a positive structure. I didn't mean to say it in an exclusive manner, that that's the only way it can happen. It just means something constructive, not something that has to be on Korea Almanat Litfor, but rather Korea that is a constructive action, and any constructive action would be Chayav. Now the Gemara continues, Vachoresh, Tano, Achoresh, Vachofer, Vachoret, someone who plows, someone who digs, or someone who creates a ditch by pulling something heavy along the way. Kulay Malacha Achatein. Again, these are all one Malacha. Arav Sheshet, Haitalo Gavshushit, if he has a small mound, Benatla, and he removes or flattens out that mound. If it's Babait, if it's in his house, Chayav Mishim Boneh. He's improving the house, he's making the house now more usable, Improving the utility of the house, that's a problem of binyan. It's sadev, he does that in his field, chayav mishum choresh. That's considered to be plowing because he's accomplishing the same thing that plowing does, which is it facilitates planting. That's either by loosening up the earth, which he's doing here by removing the mound, or by flattening out the surface so now that it is able to be used for seeding. So it's a preparation or a prep for seeding. Amarova aitalo guma, if he has a ditch, vitamama, and he filled it up with earth, if he does that in the house, that's boneh, because now he's filled in a depression in the house. It makes it flat, so that's a 
improving the utility of the house and it's bonet. But sadeh, if he does it out in the field, he's chayav mishum choresh. Again, either because he's filling in with loose dirt, and that's what choresh does, or because, again, he's flattening the surface, which facilitates planting, and that's what choresh does as well. Amri chufer guma b'shabbat, someone who digs a ditch on Shabbat, ve'enu tzarich el but he's not digging the ditch because he needs the ditch. He's digging the ditch because he needs the earth that's inside the ditch. Patur. Allah, you're patur from it because it's called a malacha. Shein tzrichad gufa. The main purpose of digging or bonet or choresh is to prepare the field to build whatever it is there. That means that the digging itself has utility inherently in the ditch that you are making. Over here, you don't care about the ditch, you just care about getting the earth out of the ditch that you need for some other purpose. That's what's called a melacha. You're doing the melacha of digging, praying of choresh or boneh, but you're not doing it for the purpose of choresh or boneh, you're doing it for the item that's there, the earth that's there. So that's a melacha that you're doing, but in sucha the gufa, it's not the purpose or intent that it was done for in the mishkan. And therefore you are patur alah, according to Rabbi Shimon, who believes, melacha shein sucha the gufa is patur of alasur, now the Gemara adds, according to Rabbi Abba, Vafilu Rabbi Yehuda. Even Rabbi Yehuda normally says, Malacha Amar That's only when you do something that's constructive. But over here, you're doing something that is destructive, and that is a machloka later on in the Masechah between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda as to whether destructive actions are considered to be Chayav on Shabbat. Rabbi Yehuda believes that Mikalkel is Patur on Shabbat, whereas Rabbi Shimon, with a few exceptions, believes that Mikalkel is Chayab on Shabbat. And so here, in the case of Malachash Shein Srichad Gufa, where it's Kilkul, even Rabbi Yehuda will agree that you are Patur of Alasur and not Chayab over here, even though he normally believes that Malachash Shein Srichad Gufa, you are Chayab for. Vakutzer, someone who harvests, Tana Kutzer, Habutzer, Vaguder, Vemesik, Vaura. All of these items are forms of harvesting. It depends what you're harvesting. Kotzer is by grains or cereals. Those are called kotzer. Habutzer is someone who picks grapes. Haguder is someone who picks dates. Hemisik is picking olives. Baura is picking figs. So they're all kulam They're all the same malacha of harvesting, picking something from that is mechubar for the item itself. They're just different verbs to describe an action on different objects, but they're the same action, just on a different object. Someone takes a clod of earth and throws it at the dates on the date tree, and that causes the dates to loosen and fall away. For two violations. One is picking, because you're taking something that's mechubar, and now separating it out. So that would be tolesh, or a derivative of Kotzer, or over here, the way that we called it before, is Goder. Vachat Meshu Mifareik. And one, because of Mifareik, Mifareik is to break something apart, to take a shell and break it away from the seed when you want the seed. So that's called Mifareik. That's a Toladav Dash of threshing, where you crush something or you work something so that they separate away from each other. Rashi brings two possibilities as to what's Mifareik over here. One is that Mifareik Chamor, which means to unload. And that's why it's called Mifreik over here. You're unloading the tree from its dates. That's one possibility. The other possibility he breaks is that it's Mifreik Tarmarim in a Machbodot. That he's breaking the date away from the bunch or the cluster of dates that are there. And therefore separating the date away from the cluster, breaking up the cluster, is what makes it into a issue of Mifreik. The Baytosafot, the Re does not like Raj's explanation, but rather favors the view of the Rajbam that the Mifreik over here is that the dates actually have some sort of shell or covering around them, 
And then when you hit them, that shell or covering that surrounds them breaks away, and that's why it's called mifareik, which is then much more similar to what mifareik is, a derivative of dash, of threshing, which is where you break away the, the stalks or the shafts of the grain from the grain itself, or the head of the grain, and that's what dash is, and a mifareik is a toledav dash. And Rashi makes that clear here, that it's a toledav dash. To that, the Ba'i Tosavot brings the view of the Rebbeinu Tam that he thinks that that's not correct because the Gemara later on says that milking a cow is a derivative of dash or mitfarek. But the problem with that, as the Rebbeinu Tam notes, is that dash only applies to gedule karka, and cows are not gedule karka, so how can mitfarek be a reference to a malacha for milking a cow? Therefore, the Rebbeinu Tam suggests the alternative that milking a cow is not a derivative of dash, rather a derivative of memachek, which is to smooth something out. And that is because when you squeeze the milk out of the udder, you are pulling on the teats and smoothing out the teats. That's why it's mifarek is a derivative of memachek. The re rejects that because of the Gemara later on in Kufmem Daladam Beth, which is that if a person milks directly into a k'tira, into solid items, that's not a problem with mifarek. Whereas if he milks into a karan, to a bowl, that is mifarek. Because in one case, he's creating a liquid from a solid item. He's separating away food from the udder. Whereas on the other case, if he takes it from the cow directly into the kdera, into the solid food item that's there, it's going from ochel to ochel, and it's not called mifarek. And that's clearly not an issue of mimachek, because that's not a distinction that matters within the world of mimachek. Therefore, he agrees with Rashi that mifarek is a tolada of dash. And he just says that it seems that Rashi favors the position of Rabbi Huda later on, who argues on the Rabbonon, who say that Disha is only by Dulei Karkos, that's what was done in the Mishkan with the Simamanim, and Rabbi Huda disagrees with that, and Tosafot brings evidence of the fact that Rashi seems to favor that position of Rabbi Huda, and that's why the problem of Chacholev is a problem of Mifareik, even though it's not Dulei Karka. And that also will be the explanation of Mifareik in our case over here, that it's a tolada of Dash. Ravashi Amar, ain't derech tlisha bakach, ain't derech prika bakach. Yes, you did tlisha. Yes, you did prika there, but this isn't the normal way to pick things. It's not the normal way to do priruk Dash Mifareik. And therefore, it's considered to be la'achar yad. And la'achar yad is a iser d'rabanan, but it's not an iser d'oraita. Ve'ama Amer, someone who piles something up. Amarava, I'm on the konif milcha mimilchata. Someone who piles up salt from the salt factories. They used to take seawater and then put them into open pits and let the water evaporate and then the remainder would be the salt. So the milchata that's found that salt, if you pile that up into a pile, chayim mishum mamer, you're chayim for piling it up. Vayamar, any more el gedule karka. Vay says, imor is only relevant by gedule karka. That's the way it was done in the Mishkan. That's the way it's done in the process of sidur, the prat, like we see in the Mishnah. And therefore, it's not relevant to salt, which is not gedule karka. Vadash, threshing. Tana, hadash. Vaminapates. Vaminapate. Kulam malacha When it comes to dash, which is the threshing, again, separating the stalks away from the grain by crushing them or pressing them down, there are other melachot that are done to other items that are very similar to that. And that is that when it comes to minapates, which Rashi says over here, is stripping the strings of the linen away from the flax, which is done by beating the flax stalks to cause them to separate away the stringy material. Or minapate, Rashi says, is what you do to cotton, to separate away the cotton from the seeds. All of those are the same form of mlacha, which is that through crushing or pressure, you're separating away the item that you want from the parts of the item that you do not want, or you're bringing to the forefront the kernels, the flax strips, and the cotton away from the other items that are considered to be refuse, 
And that's why they're all considered to be malachachat. They're just performed on these different items. Okay, we're going to stop here by the two dots on the bottom of Ayin Gimel Amud Bet.